Welcome to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. In this podcast, there'll be insights around three key areas to mastering the game of life. Purpose, prosperity, philanthropy. Your host, Paul Lowe, the third sector mentor, is the founder of Hearts Global CIC, which along with many other of his charitable commitments, has been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from disadvantaged communities. Author of Mastering the Game of Life, From Pain to Purpose, and Speaking from Our Hearts books. Introducing your host, Paul Lowe. Welcome listeners to this Mastering Life podcast episode where I want to recite you a story from from the um, Speaking From Our Hearts book from an author called Kevin Searcy who's based in the UK and the story is particularly poignant and interesting because Kevin um, asked a very, very simple three-word question, one that I'm sure we've all asked at some time or other. Who am I? So without further ado, Kevin's story. I was born in the early 1960s in a rough but tightly knit part of Nottingham known as St Anne's. Although times were very hard and the family was poor, this was only in a financial sense. I enjoyed a loving, secure childhood, one that contributed towards me giving the confidence to progress to a high level in karate and subsequently engage in many fight tournaments. I suppose who am I is one of those questions along with What's the meaning of life that many people ask themselves from time to time? I know this question has generally floated through my mind over the last 25 years or so. Having been married for 10 years, I found myself off work after severely damaging my right knee in a karate accident in 1993. And as a result, money was scarce. And after many years of heated arguments, my my ex-wife Janet and I eventually split up in 1994. It was devastating for me to leave my two kids, Paul and Kaylee, behind. Soon after we split, I heard that Janet was expecting our third child, Nicola, being born in November 1994. All I had in the world was a few clothes and a battered Robin Reliant estate car. The car I'd purchased was from, I used to, I used to race Reliance um, um, for stock car events. And, and the guy told me how fast it was. And I found this to be true one day, coming back to Nottingham from Sheffield, because I was stopped by the police for doing 90 miles an hour in a three-wheeled Robin Reliant. Now separated from my wife, though, I moved back with my loving parents, who were extremely supportive and gave me food and shelter. I suppose this was the first time I became conscious of the identity question. Who am I? because I had gone from being a proud family man providing for his loved ones to someone who had now needed his parents' support. The ensuing months were painful in every imaginable way. Physically, I had to cope with the knee operation and rehab, but this physical pain was absolutely nothing compared to the emotional suffering I was experiencing due to missing my children, whom I adored. Nothing seemed to go right. I was fighting for access to see my children and I remember wondering daily when this fight was ever going to end. Missing my kids was made even harder by the fact I knew how much they missed me too. The arguments carried on and my kids seemed to be in the middle of it all, all the time. Eventually my ex-wife allowed my children to come and see me at my mum and dad's house. I have priceless memories of sitting there on a Saturday morning watching Saved by the Bell and Rugrats with me in the middle of all my kids, eating their grandma's special toasties. 
in May, it was my birthday and I got some and I got some money from my family and all I could think of was using this cash to treat my kids to a McDonald's. The year rolled by and the visits to the solicitors seemed never ending. At 1994, as 1994 was drawing to a close, I couldn't get the thought of having no money out of my head. I was determined to look after my kids for Christmas, so I reluctantly sold my beloved, beloved Reliant Robin. January 1995 <coughs> introduced itself and I recall wondering what this year would have in store for me. By now, I was feeling sorry for myself though and completely in victim mode. I had a knee that kept giving way so I had to wear a leg brace until the reconstruction later that year. My mind had become a myriad of negative, ego-driven, self-doubting thoughts. I really could not see a future. And anyway, what good would I be to, to my wonderful children? They deserved a better dad than I could ever be. Other than it being my mum's birthday on the 9th of March 1995, it was a significant day because this was the day I thought I'd met my soulmate. I woke to the sun shining into my eyes through a gap in the blinds, dragged out of bed and du dragged myself out of bed and duly wished my adoring mother a happy birthday. I was supposed to be going out that night with my friend Adrian, but I asked mum if she'd phone him and, and, and just relay that I couldn't make it because I was ill. Mum guessed what was really wrong with me. I was skint, but was too proud to say so. So mum gave me a tenner and she said she wouldn't take it back, insisting that she just wanted to see me happy going out and having a good time. Reluctantly, I rang Adrian to say I would be going out later. Later that evening, we turned up at a place called Turner's, a little club along the local Mapley co-op store. We stood at the bar chatting away, but Adrian seemed to be preoccupied with looking at some ladies, commenting on how pretty they were. To be honest, I remember not being interested, or maybe I was just plain scared as I didn't want to get hurt again. I felt like a fish out of water as I stood at the bar, sipping my pint and trying to, and to look confident while Adrian talked to the other ladies. Then I glanced over at the dance floor and noticed a blonde woman who intrigued me. She seemed full of life and confidence as she walked towards her friends at the bar. As Adrian and I walked towards the exit at the end of the night, a bizarre thing happened. I felt something or someone turned me around, but nobody was there. To this day, I still find this amazing and believe a spiritual presence was there to guide me. Then we were ushered out of the club and I thought I'd lost the blonde. My heart sank, but as I walked out, I heard her cheeky voice shout, See you next week then. I could not get Blondie out of my head. The following week, I turned up at the nightclub again with Adrian, but she was not there. I didn't think I took my eyes off the door that night. I'd just about, I'd just about given up, but then in the middle of the dance floor, I saw Blondie. My heart skipped a beat as she came over to say hello. After I'd eventually established her name, Lorraine, and we swapped phone numbers, my world was then significantly challenged when she announced she was married. Nonetheless, we became friends over the ensuing months and I loved seeing her, even if, the, even if things were strictly plutonic. In May of 1995, I got a letter from a housing association offering me a one-bedroom flat. At last, some good news. A couple of weeks later, with loads of support from my family, I moved into my new abode. 
Although I still felt isolated, I saved every penny I could, even letting the electricity run out, so I would have enough money for when my kids came to visit, as well as have been sufficient to go to Turner's nightclub. However, I didn't see Lorraine for, for weeks. Then one day, she turned up, but seemed to be very low. She told me that she'd split up with her husband and was living in a refuge. I responded by telling her that I had a flat and she was welcome to visit any time she wanted. Over the next few weeks, we found out we were falling in love and eventually shared a kiss. Then Lorraine pulled back and left. Confused and hurt, I sat on my little step outside my flat watching every car that passed, hoping she would return. But the anticipated reunion did not materialise. I subsequently found out that she'd gone back to her husband in a last-ditch attempt to make things work. As devastated as I was, I fully understood her need to do the right thing by her kids. The, tar- the paradox being, though, that although I totally embraced this value, it felt so wrong. The next day, I was sitting on my settee feeling like a lovesick puppy when the doorbell rang. Yes, it was Lorraine. She bounced into my arms and blurted out that she tried to make things work but just couldn't do it anymore. Now the only part of my life missing was my kids. Shortly afterwards, I moved in with Lorraine. We started to gel as a family and I managed to get some voluntary work at the Greenway Centre in Snenton, Nottingham. Although the work wasn't rewarding money-wise, it was definitely powerful to know that we were serving the community and people less fortunate than ourselves. Slowly but surely, I got my confidence and self-respect back. My identity as a strong but sensitive and caring family man was beginning to emerge again. Prosperity is usually associated with people's financial wealth, but for me, this couldn't be further from the truth. The love and security we shared as a family spanning nearly two decades, was absolutely priceless. In 1999, Lorraine and I were blessed with a beautiful daughter of our own, Julia, and life seemed idyllic. I then had the confidence to start my own business, repairing and selling computers, and prosperity started to present financial rewards. Money felt abundant and was supplemented by Lorraine getting a job with the local council and progressing along nicely. However, after nearly two decades, I became aware that things between us were changing. I felt we had no common purpose anymore, and I found myself asking a lot of questions again about my identity. This time, though, it was different. I intuitively knew that I was capable of being so much more in my life. For the first time in ages, it was no longer about Lorraine or the family. It was now about me and the realisation that a new phase of my life was unfolding like a butterfly emerging from a chrysalis. Early in 2017, Lorraine confirmed what I already knew. It was over between us. The pain of this crushing news was alleviated somewhat by the fact I, I agreed that we drifted apart and become totally different people. For weeks after, I found myself in a crazy world of emotional chaos. All the certainty I'd ever known had now vanished. I was running on emotional fumes. And there were times when I didn't know if I had the strength to survive the moment, let alone the day. However, I kept sliding into victim mode. And if I hadn't been for the continuous interventions of my loving family and friends, I I I wouldn't be here to recall this journey of my life. 
So after working through my recent pain and suffering, I'm now embracing my emerging identity as a warrior who will use my rich life experiences to continue to grow and grow and more importantly, pass on the lessons I've learned from the benefit of others. And the wow, the words of wisdom that Kevin shares at the end of his story is, it's better to be a loving warrior than a lonely warrior. So there you go, listeners. Speaking from our hearts, Kevin's story. As ever, hope you've got some real, real insights, some real valuable insights from that. So until the next time, take care, be safe and keep loving. Thanks for listening to the Mastering the Game of Life podcast. Drop a line to paul at paullowhearts.com with any thoughts or questions you may have, and he'll be more than happy to respond. Alternatively, check out Paul's website at paullowhearts.com or any of his social media feeds under the same name. Remember, mastering life starts by embracing our hearts.